When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to the Jet Press Podcast. My name is Justin Freed, and I'm joined, as always, by my man, Mike Luciano. Mike, it has been a busy day in Jetsland. How are you feeling today? When is it ever not? Uh, <laughs> here's how I'm feeling about the New York Jets. There's an episode of Futurama where they go to, like, an ancient Egypt plant, and they have to build a pyramid for the king there, Pharaoh. And they have one of those signs, like, you know, days without accident. And it's on zero, and Fry's finally gonna go put the thing to number one on, and he hammers it in, and he realizes he just nail drove the nail into his hand, and the one falls down back to zero for zero days without last accident. That's what the New York Jets feel like. We can never just say, "All right, nothing crazy happened today. This today was just a regular ass day." That doesn't happen. We're not we're not privy to that. Instead, we are privy to this: a bombshell report. From the athletic, yeah. Hey man, look, the Listen, Jets. I'm so own, tired. That's <laughs> only off season. That doesn't mean it's always a good thing. But the Jets are always in the news. Uh, They're always dominating headlines in the off season. So here we are, and we're going to be talking about that. We'll talk about uh, Rex Hogan was fired, assistant GM. In a normal day, that would be a pretty big news. That would be like the the number one news item for the Jets. But that report from the Athletic. We'll talk all about that. Maybe we'll get into some Senior Bowl stuff. Uh, if not, we'll probably touch on that next week. Jets also hired a wide receivers coach. Fun, cool, great stuff. But yeah, Mike, we got to get into that that Athletic report. But first, I think do you have a little message from our friends at DraftKings? Yes, because they are offering a fantastic sign up bonus ahead of the postseason. You could place a five dollar first bet on anything to instantly claim one hundred fifty bucks in bonus bets. You'll also be rewarded with a separate no-sweat single-game parlay every single day when you opt in. The best part is you will receive rewards even if your first bet loses. So there you go. When you join DraftKings, make sure to use the code FSBETS. That is F-S-B-E-T-S. Not only does it get you the bonuses, but it does directly support our podcast. If you've been considering signing up for DraftKings, please use the code FSBETS to maximize your first bets and parlays. This offer is only available to new customers who are 21 and older and physically present in legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly and check the episode description for the full terms of the offer. And as always, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. We are on all those sites, YouTube at the Jet Press. We just hit 750 subscribers. We are very thankful for that. Thank you guys so much for the support. Really kind of ticked up in the last couple of days. So if you're new here, welcome. And your, your first episode is going to be more behind-the-scenes Jets drama. Uh Let's just attack this piece by piece, almost in like a chronological order. Because the first couple 
uh, paragraphs. I'm like, all right, this doesn't really seem like anything. It's just more Aaron Rodgers, and they're all disappointed Rodgers got hurt, and guys are upset there's a losing season. I'm like, all right, nothing crazy here. Then the next two-thirds of the article are just reading Robert Sala and Nathaniel Hackett, the riot act, which I have some problems with because I don't know if they necessarily gave equal coverage to everyone in this organization, hit and hit front office, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Let's just start with the, the lowest hanging fruit possible, Nathaniel Hackett, because it was very clear, obviously, that Hackett was in over his skis without Rodgers, that he didn't know what he was doing. And now it it's worse even too, because I at least thought that there was some sort of symbiotic relationship between Nathaniel Hackett and Aaron Rodgers, where they just got each other. Now, as the athletic shows, that's not even true because there have been multiple times where he would call plays, Hackett would, and Rodgers would shake him off. He wouldn't really adjust very well. Even the much maligned Keith Carter was saying in during the Dallas game, tr- telling him adjustments he could make, Hackett wouldn't make them. He wouldn't even really coordinate with some of the offensive staff until the absolute last minute of game prep. Then finally, he benches the younger guys, and it's just a sloppy offense all around. Any normal situation without the Aaron Rodgers factor, forget not surviving at this point. You would have fired Hackett in the middle of the season. That, that's not a cosmetic coordinator change, like maybe like what Buffalo did. That's not that. This, this is you can't function. And, I mean, you don't need us to tell you that. You don't need Diana Rossini and Zach Rosenblatt of the Athletic to tell you that. You as Jets fans, you could see that blues plain as day. I could even I had two different warring segments uh, analogies that I kind of mashed together into one horrible one. But you didn't need us to really tell you that because anyone watching the Jets could just see that Nathaniel Hackett had no idea what he was doing. And the worst part is we're probably going to see more of this because Rodgers is basically the offensive coordinator and the assistant GM. It's it's his show. Yep. I think a lot of this report just confirmed a lot of things that Jets fans already suspected or knew about the organization, knew about the coaching staff, knew about the the relationship with Aaron Rodgers and the organization. Uh, First, just shout out Zach Rosenblatt, shout out Dan Rossini for doing a great job with this. Uh, I feel like good journalism does not get appreciated as much as it should nowadays. So shout out to them. I thought they did an excellent job with this report. Uh, even if, you know, we'll talk about some stuff later, maybe with the front office that may have been neglected. Um, but yeah, I think the most concerning part, and again, this is not stuff that we didn't know, but it's different when you see it written out and writing right in front of your face and you get actual sourcing on an actual reporting, uh, was the part where it's talking about Rogers and Hackett's relationship that you mentioned, Mike, because like you said, I feel like there had at least been hints that it was a symbiotic relationship that they were working hand in hand. But this part really sums it up to me. I'm going to quote it. It says, Rodgers and Hackett's relationship dynamic is more frat brothers than player coach. And Rodgers appreciates having the free will to operate the system as he sees fit. Now, what that tells me, reading between the lines, is that Rodgers doesn't respect or appreciate Nathaniel Hackett as a coach, or at least not to the extent that maybe has been has been put out there. He appreciates that Hackett's lets, Hackett lets him do whatever he wants. That's what, what? he appreciates. How often have we been saying that on this show? I know. And it's, again, that's not a revelation. Jets fans are like, oh, they'll roll their eyes. But that's a problem. Like, that's a serious, serious, serious problem. He goes on to state, or the, the article goes on to state that, quote, that's what Aaron wants was a common refrain from Hackett as he told coaches what plays he wanted to run during camp. So, again, Hackett's not really the one running the offense when Aaron Rodgers is there. Aaron Rodgers is saying what he wants, and Nathaniel Hackett is letting him do whatever he wants. Now, Aaron Rodgers is one of the, the greatest football players of all time. He's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, one of the smartest players to ever play the game. 
but he's not the one who should be running the offense. You should have the offensive coaching staff running the offense, which is why it should come as no surprise that when Rodgers went down and when he, when he wasn't around the facility for a long time before he ended up returning, shit went to hell. Like it went to shit. It went to absolute shit because Nathaniel Hackett is not qualified to be an offensive coordinator in this league. He's not. He hasn't been for years. He clearly showed in Denver he can't run an offense, and he showed it here in New York. I don't think anything in this piece that was revealed about Hackett was necessarily shocking or surprising, but it is concerning. And it also goes on to state that the Jets are exploring ways to, I believe they said, make a collaborative effort with the play calling in 2024, because as the article states, the Jets have clearly lost faith in their belief that Nathaniel Hackett could run an offense. And now if you have two offensive coordinators, you don't have an offensive coordinator. Exactly. I would love somebody to point to me one example in NFL history, because I maybe there is out there, but I don't know any, where a collaborative play calling effort has worked on offense, where that's been a successful game plan. I can't think of any. Maybe there has been. I've seen it work on like defense a little bit. Like I remember Belichick with like Gerard Mayo or even yeah. Brian Flores. Like Belichick would be the main guy, but he'd have like a, a nominal defensive coordinator who would help sure. with other stuff. But again, that's Bill then, Belichick. Exactly. That is not Robert Sala. This isn't a collaborative effort between Kyle Shanahan, Sean McDay, and, and Matt LaFleur. This is a collaborative effort between Nathaniel Hackett, Todd Downing, Keith Carter, and whoever else is on this damn coaching staff. Like that's that's not going to work. Uh, the Jets are bringing in guys like Sean Jefferson. They brought in Tony Dews, the running backs coach from Tennessee. Sure, man, go for it. It's not going to change anything. They're going to try a collaborative play calling effort. I imagine this means that Todd Downing is probably going to take on a larger role. That doesn't excite me in any way at all. I don't think that's nothing excites me about this team. <laughs> nothing, and I think look, we can even talk about this right now because, like, it's it, it is incredibly, incredibly difficult to have any faith that the Jets organization is going to be successful in 2024 because, as this article makes very clear, and as we've known for quite some time, the Jets placed all of their blame for last season, specifically Robert Sala placed all their blame for last season on the Aaron Rodgers injury. Once that happened, that was it to him, right? The, the bar, as is said in the article, was set at seven games. They weren't trying to win. They weren't trying to, to make the Super Bowl, despite what they publicly said, despite what they were outwardly saying, despite probably what they told their players. They probably told their players, hey, we're trying to win. We're doing everything we can to compete. They weren't. Once Rodgers went down, it was seven games. And they got that. They got to seven games. Good for them. They hit their bare minimum goal because they wanted to salvage their jobs. They wanted to survive another season. And they did. But that's a loser's mentality. And unfortunately, it's the same mentality the Jets have going into next year. Because even though we all saw, clear as day, the many, many issues with this organization last season, the Jets are going to say, hey, we have Aaron Rodgers coming back. And it's the same thing they said last offseason. We have Aaron Rodgers coming in. He's going to fix everything. Now, the only difference is you're saying that a year after he tore his Achilles. He's now a year older. We're now another year removed from the last time we saw Aaron Rodgers be Aaron Rodgers. It's been two, three years now since we've seen that. I have zero faith in any of that working out. Even if they go out and make moves like, oh, they bring in Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley, awesome. They draft Olafishanu in the first round. Awesome. I think those would be good moves by themselves, but I still don't have faith in this regime. I don't have faith in the coaching staff. I don't have faith that this regime will survive another year because I don't know. I don't have faith that the Jets will be good in 2024. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. 
And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'll, I'll at least defend Robert Sala on one thing because I feel like we expect oftentimes too much of our athletes and coaches where like at the end of the day, these guys are like human beings with you know, flaws and personality traits and they get affected by the same stuff that we do. And whatever you thought of Robert Sala, you, you could hate him. You could think he's coach of the year because of what he did with that defense. But one thing that I feel like everybody said at the beginning of the year was, damn, it sucks that he didn't get to coach Aaron Rodgers and he has to coach – Zach Wilson, everybody else. And I don't think anybody would assume that like, oh, he's going to be just as fine with Zach Wilson instead of Aaron Rodgers. But one of the things that really kind of irked me is that he, he bemoans this in the athletic piece where he says, I could end up being a Vic Fangio. Now, for those that don't know, Vic Fangio has been a defensive coordinator on again and off again for like almost like 30 something years. I think 35 years. Like I remember he was a linebackers coach in the eighties with the saints when they had the dome patrol and that was the all four linebackers made the Pro Bowl. That was Vic Fangio. Like, that's how long this guy's been a defensive mastermind in this league. And then he finally gets a head coaching job in Denver. And look who his quarterbacks are Flacco and Case Keenum, I think, was there. And Drew Locke, like, he had young Drew Locke in Denver. And then he got fired after three years. I don't think he ever had a winning season in Denver. So, like, that's a legitimate fear of Robert Saw. And you know what? I'd be afraid of that too. Because I think not, not to say Vic Fangio was going to go win a couple Super Bowls, but definitely Vic Fangio, probably because he's older too, blew his only shot as a head coach because he didn't have a good quarterback play. So when Robert Sala does it, that's a very honest thing. I guarantee you, any coach in that situation where if you're cooking on one side of the ball and the other side of the ball you're not familiar with is terrible, you're like, man, I'm going to get fired because of this. How many great offensive coaches have had terrible defenses where they give up 30, 28 points a game? And then they get fired because of that, and they just never figure it out. That's a very real concern. I don't. I don't think it necessarily makes them look weak. Like I, maybe you need to be that sort of emotional, for lack of a better word, like a psychopath to not think about that to be a successful NFL head coach. But I don't know. I feel like if I were in that position, I would worry about that too. I think it's one thing to think it. Of course, he's going to be feeling that way. Of course, he's going to compare himself to someone like a Vic Fangio, who I believe is friends with Robert Sala. Of course, they've both been in the league a while. It's one thing to think that. It's another thing to make it vocally apparent to everyone who's around you. And as the article, at least it paints a picture that Robert Sala was publicly saying this stuff, was was vocally, he was, he was bemoaning this stuff. He was, he was being very vocal about the fact that, man, I'm so unlucky. Man, the Jets are so unlucky. If only Rodgers didn't get hurt. That's a loser's mentality. 
That is, you think Mike Tomlin's doing that shit? Mike Tomlin said Kenny fucking Pickett, Mason Rudolph, Duck Hodges as his quarterbacks after Ben Roethlisberger retired. You see Mike Tomlin moping about this shit? No, man. Like, and I don't want to be that guy to be like, oh, grow up. But I feel like a lot of two, a lot of people in that Jets organization, in that Jets regime, they gotta grow up. It's it's Connor Rogers said this on Twitter, and I thought it was a great point that he made. It's not a good look when the most the most uh, professional people in the organization look like they're Garrett Wilson and Sauce Gardner. Like they're the ones that are, that are handling this the most mature way. I don't think it's a good look at all to, to, to publicly just be low or not publicly, but privately to your staffers to maybe even members of the, of the, the roster themselves, the front office members be like, man, this sucks that Rogers got hurt. I guess we're not going to be able to compete this year. A, a couple other points in that article that I thought but were really quick before, before that though, like sure. you need this and a couple other things that I think you're going to mention though, too. This seems like stuff, like, obviously it's not good that this got out, but I feel like these are things that every, like, a lot of bad teams, like, say and have happened over the, like, I don't think this is, like, it's not great, but I feel like this happens with a lot of bad teams. And I think, like, at one point earlier, Sala mentioned earlier, well, the Giants are just as bad as us, possibly worse than us this year. Why aren't they getting half the coverage we are? I think they're, like, if you talk to guys in, you know, Washington, Carolina, even New England this year, like, I'm sure there's similar stuff like like this going on. And I think I do at least get why Salah's like, why why are they acting like we're the only dysfunctional team around here lately? They're acting I like can, that. I can because, get that that's frustrating. I know you can't control it, but I, I yeah, sympathize with that. They're acting like that because they're a New York team with Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback. They signed up for all the publicity. They they made it very they went on a publicity tour in the offseason. No, not necessarily them. It yeah, wasn't they signed up for Aaron Rodgers. They didn't sign up for Zach Wilson. Well, yeah, they sign up for Aaron Rodgers, and that's the 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 feedback they're going to get as a result. Whatever happens after that, him getting hurt, that obviously is incredibly unfortunate. But they signed up for all the media attention, so they shouldn't be upset about that. Now, it's again, it's a completely different thing for us as fans, for us here talking to people on YouTube to be like, yeah, the Jets and Giants aren't covered the same because I don't think that they are. It's another thing for a coach of a losing team because the Jets were a losing team, and Robert Sala was looking to point fingers for for why the you know why the coverage was different and why they were losing. It's another thing for him to to be upset about that and for him to make that something that he's he's clearly I don't know very it, that shouldn't be his priority. His priority should not be oh the Jets and Giants are covered very differently. A couple of things from Sala that I, in that article that I think it, it makes him look weak. Like I, I hate to use that word but it makes him look like a weak leader. Uh, one of the things was when, so not only Salah being vocal about his, his, his bad luck, he did, according to this article, personal research on records of head coaches of teams with great QBs when they were playing without their quarterback. At, this was after that Dolphins loss. He looked at other quarterbacks. I believe it was like, um, I, I, I forget where it was. Where was it? Hold on. I'm going to find it in the article here. Uh, here it is. He found that Bill Belichick, Mike McCarthy, John Harbaugh, Zach Taylor, Mike McDaniel, Kyle Shanahan, and Sean McVay all had losing records in those situations. And that Mike Tomlin, as I mentioned before, was the lone exception. The article states that became Salah's battle cry as the Jets losses piled up in criticism mountain. What did you expect? We lost Aaron Rodgers. I mean, in a negotiating room, I could get that because event he's going to have to go in there with his agent and fight for his job. And that's at least... Sure. But that's but, again, maybe don't tell people that, but exactly. like, I don't fault him for thinking like that. Cause I mean, I, we all would in this situation. I don't fault him for thinking that, but if this stuff is getting leaked, he's clearly been vocal about it to other people. And that is an incredibly bad look. 
That is not a good look for a head coach who is supposed to be the leader of men in that locker room. He is the leader of that team. He is supposed to be the one that's not pointing fingers. That's not making excuses. He's supposed to be the one that stops others from doing that. Instead, he's the one who's doing it seemingly the most. And that's really bad. And then we said that, and this isn't just a solid problem. This is a Jets organizational problem. They signed up for Robert for, for, for uh, Aaron Rodgers, and the second he goes down, they gave up on the season. That was not just a Robert Sala decision. That was a Joe Douglas decision. That was a Woody Johnson decision. That was everyone. But as the head coach of a team, you cannot be the one that's pointing fingers. You have to cut that shit out. I think that's a really bad look. And then the other part of that that I also think is just it, it makes him look as the article said, paranoid, was after the, the leaks came out about that Zach Wilson thing. Because apparently that that Zach Wilson report, the report that stated that the Jets and Wilson had agreed to part ways at the end of the season, and then after, of course, Tim Boyle was benched, they went back to Zach Wilson, asked him to start, and he was reluctant. That whole thing, that entire report had a pretty significant impact on on going the going-ons in the Jets organization. Clearly, uh, that, it That's the worst part to me. Right. That, that that part of it is the only that's the only one where I'm like, okay, dude, what's going on? Yeah, because because that report comes out, then Aaron Rodgers goes into Pat McAfee's show and he says, Yeah, we gotta we gotta cut these leaks out. We gotta we gotta stop this shit out before it gets even worse. And only then, when Rodgers says that publicly, does Robert Sala kind of freak out. As the article says, Robert Sala went into a tailspin, I believe was the exact verbiage that was used. Uh, the coach had a meeting with his staff two days later. This is a quote from the article where he asked the leader to reveal himself, according to multiple people in attendance. If you quote, if you come forward now, you won't get in trouble, he told them, while threatening to take their cell phones. Well, like it's like a kid who like spray painted the back of a school. Like yeah. the principals. never in my 24 years of being an educator have I seen this. And then that's that's <laughs> crazy, man. Staffers were bemused by Sala's obsession with the Wilson story and his reaction to it. And you know why he was probably reacting like it? Because Aaron Rodgers said something about it. Because another prevailing theme in this article was that players and, and, and teammates and coaches were not happy and are not still not pleased about how much Salah fawned over Aaron Rodgers. And again, that's not just a Salah problem. That's a Jets organizational problem because they gave him the keys to the franchise as one source. Now, mind you, this source is not from someone in the Jets organization. I believe it was from a, a rival team or another AFC team. But it said that Rodgers was basically the GM and Joe Douglas was the assistant GM. Again, that's not coming well, it's from easy to say that, you know. Right, exactly. I don't I don't read too much into that because that's not coming from someone within the organization. That's someone on the outside looking in, and that's pretty much the same intel that we have. Um, but I, I think all of that just makes Robert Sala look incredibly weak. It shows me that one, I don't think he has complete control over his coaching staff and locker room because he's making that big of a of a stink about stuff getting leaked, and then 30 anonymous sources from his organization leak shit for this article. That doesn't strike me as like clearly. Whatever he was saying didn't get through to his coaching staff and his and his players and everybody because the leaks have only gotten worse. And it just, I don't know, it, it's not a great look for me for a head coach to be paranoid about leaks, to be pointing fingers at everyone else but himself and but his own team, to being like, oh, look, it's external factors. It's unfortunate. It's bad luck that all this stuff happened. That's a bad, that's bad leader. Bad leaders do that. It's, a, bad, it's bad leadership, but I will... I will again qualify. I don't want to make sense. I'm just defending Salah nonstop, but sure. here's what I'll qualify it with too. Like for a guy who is a third year head coach and has really only been a coordinator for or, a coordinator or head coach for like five, six years in the league. Cause before he was a position coach. So yeah. still generally kind of inexperienced, like this situation, I don't care how good of a coach you were. This exact situation on anybody would be extremely trying. Now, I know that you obviously don't get the benefit of hindsight. You don't get to do things over again. But 
you know, early on, I don't get we talk about Mike Tomlin. I know he said bad quarterbacks. If Mike Tomlin traded for Aaron Rodgers, then he got hurt immediately. I'm sure some stuff would would go haywire over there too. So that's number one. Number two, my main criticism of Salah is that I praised him for being not authentic in the way where people used to rip on him. He's like, oh, he's not getting angry enough on the sideline. Like that's that's silly. But right, I, I, I used to think like, oh, he's he's an authentic guy. I don't think he is in the sense that to me, I get the vibe of he he loves football. He's incredibly smart for football, and he just loves just schematically the X's and O's and give me a player, I'll coach him up and make him better. That's what made him a great defensive coordinator, and that's why with all this crap, even with some of the stuff mentioned in the article, that the defense, you can make the case, was one of the five best in the league. PFF had him at number one. I think that that's the only reason they didn't win one or two games this year was because of that defense and how much he just loves coaching defensive football. The problem is I feel like he's trying to be that uh, – what was the Teddy Roosevelt, like carry speak softly and carry yeah. a big stick and CEO? Yep. He's trying to be that, where, you know, my defensive guy does this, my offensive guy does this. I just do leadership and making sure everything's running good. But that's not what the Jets need right now, in my opinion. I think they just need – honestly, they just needed some more schematic excellence on the offensive side of the ball. And they needed Rodgers to knock it out, and they would have been fine. But I feel like he's trying to be something he's not because he wants to – he thinks that that CEO leadership style is what's going to take the Jets back to prosperity. I don't know if that's what they need right now. Because, again, like nobody can argue Robert Sala does not know defensive football. He he clearly does. He's clearly got that, – that, for all the problems, that side, which is his expertise, is cooking at an exceptional level. Uh, of course. So it's not like he's just like a Hackett-level clueless dullard who has no idea what's going on and you, what's the saying? The inmates are on the asylum. Like that's not, that's not happening, but he just is so he's, he's never had to deal with a situation like this. I'm sure many of the coaches on the jet staff have not, and he handled it poorly, but again, it's, he handled it poorly, but it's that thing of, well, what's the right way to handle this? I guess. The right way. Maybe, to handle not, it. maybe don't be so vocal about what you're upset about. Sure. Yes. But at the same time, like we say all these things about how bad the Jets are and this and that, and how come they lie to us in press conferences. Then he's honest behind the scenes, which is honestly, I think, what you want from a coach sometimes. And now it's getting framed as, well, he's weak. I, to me, I don't know if that totally holds up. Well, the right way to handle it is to not privately whine about it. That's the That's the right way to handle it. He could think these things. He's a human being. He's going to think these things. But if you want to be that leader. And they're not wrong. A lot of them's not wrong. No, like, not, and, that's, and that's the thing here. I'm not saying that Robert Sala is wrong for thinking any of this stuff. Robert Sala is not wrong for thinking, oh, man, what if I had a good a good quarterback? Because he's totally right. It's the shit we've been saying for a long time now. If Robert Sala had a good quarterback, we wouldn't have this report. We wouldn't have this article. We, the Jets might be in the playoffs. Like We wouldn't have any of that. But unfortunately, he, he hasn't. And he can't be the one that says that. He cannot be the one that is whining about external factors. As a head coach, as the leader of this team, you cannot do that. You cannot point fingers at other people. You can't point fingers at bad luck. You have to move on. You have to just suck it up. Like, suck it up and be that figurehead. Be the figurehead for your organization. Be that face that when the players look at, they go, you know what? Coach is right. Robert Sala's right. We shouldn't be pointing fingers. If he's pointing fingers, that sends a message to everyone in the organization that 
Everyone else can do that too. Oh, the offense is failing? Well, the defense can just point fingers and blame the offense. Sure, rationally speaking, yeah, that makes sense. But as a head we coach- We did that for four months this year. <laughs> right, but as a head coach, you cannot allow that to happen. You, you can't. You just cannot do that. And that's a, honestly a credit to so many of, the, of the, the young guys that they have in that locker room that they weren't doing that. Garrett Wilson had a million opportunities to throw the entire offense under the bus. He did say this year was the most depressing year of his life. There's, there's that. But he never once said anything about, oh, you know what? It's Zach Wilson's fault. He even hinted at it. He didn't hint at it being Nathaniel Hackett's fault. If anything, he said, well, I need to Well, didn't he say, like, what happened this year can't happen again? Isn't that hinting at something? I think that's hinting at the entire offense being bad. He he has made it very clear to himself or to, to, to everyone else that he needs to be better himself. He said that with the fumbles. And he's like, I need to get that shit straightened out. I, I think Garrett Wilson is, is – and guys like Sauce Gardner, it's the same thing where it's like – Every opportunity to throw the offense completely under the bus. The fact that they didn't is, is is much credit to them because you have your own head coach doing it. Maybe not publicly. I'm sure the coach or the, that Sauce Gardner and Garrett Wilson are doing that privately. I'm sure that that's happening. But you can't have your head coach doing that privately. And that's that's by far my biggest gripe with all of this stuff. I do really want to get to a comment here uh, that I saw. Where was it? Right here. From Chiefs Out West on Twitter. He said it's clear uh, he didn't want to get rid of MLF Matt, or Mike LaFleur and is still upset he was forced to fire him in the first place. Yeah, I, I'm sure that Robert Sala did not want to get rid of Mike LaFleur. And I'm sure stuff like that, frustrations because of influence probably from ownership because by all accounts, the only reason well, Mike LaFleur We know from that article, Woody Johnson will scroll Twitter, find yep. out what fans are saying, and then all tell you Sala. All you idiots who are blaming Mike Lohr, this is your fault. No, I'm kidding. Um, See, but, but again, if you're Robert Sala, how does that not just drive you up a wall? It should. Because by because all your owner's saying, hey, look, look, we love being the Jet press. We love giving our opinions on stuff. We we always have thoughts about how the Jets should be run. But like, they should not listen to us. Maybe they should have listened to me on Dalvin Cook and Alan <laughs> Right, but they should listen to common sense and stats. They shouldn't go, well, Justin Freed on the Jet Press, who has a lot of Twitter followers, said they should use Dalvin Cook less. That's what he did. The and idea, I can see why Robert Sala is like, are you kidding me? The idea of Woody Johnson reading a Michael Nania tweet where he's like, got to bench CJ Ozama, and then Woody goes to Sala and's like, hey, do you guys think of doing this? That is yeah, so Chiefs funny. out West, I can see why he's paranoid. Yeah, if your yeah. boss was like, listen to these random guys on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. And again, by all accounts, the only reason Mike LaFleur is not currently the offensive coordinator of the Jets is because Zach Wilson didn't like him. That's and, and Sala didn't even like Zach Wilson. By all accounts, yeah, I know. But by all accounts, that's that's what it seems like right now. And then Woody Johnson, maybe he was reading the press clippings, or in this case, what I guess the new age way of saying that he was reading the tweets. Like my, Woody Johnson is is apparently very active on Twitter. Again, that's not something that we didn't know. Like, I feel like we already kind of knew that, but the article makes it clear that not only is Woody Johnson active on Twitter, he is seeking out tweets that are criticizing the Jets and bringing it to Robert Sala and saying, hey, what do you think about this? And, like, you, and, he, and he's not Al Davis, who was a coach and an owner. Who wrote, Woody Johnson's a pharmaceutical heir. What do you yeah. know about football, Woody Johnson? Right. It's the schematics of football, Woody Johnson. As Brian Chat said, they should have listened to you about not firing LaFleur. The very first episode of this podcast, over a year ago, we talked about how the Jets should not fire Mike LaFleur. Woody should have watched that. Someone got to send that to Woody. I don't know. Yeah, he's reading all the wrong tweets, man. That's the that's the problem. But <laughs> I will say this, though. One other comment I want to make on this whole story. And I've kind of hinted this a little bit. We'll get into this with the Rex Hogan discussion a little bit later. I still am of the belief that for as many faults as the coaching staff had, I do legitimately think they'd have like one or two wins without Robert Sala's defense. Sure. And I think yeah. the front office is a bigger problem. 
100%. in terms of like look at the things that where they were e- even the story early on about how the offensive line was always getting killed by the defense in practice you could look at everything the lack of offensive line depth that was joe douglas in the front office the inability to get a better quarterback after rogers that was the front office bringing in hackett in the first place that was the front office like the front office is there's no way you could say the front office is not at minimum equal to blame for the season and i think they're more to blame and yet this article lets them completely skate by which to me like i like these things happen they they reported i believe that they happen they're sourced anonymously whatever that's how reporting works i think these things happen but to me some of these sources have to be connected to the front office because this front office did in any other situation a fireable performance yep and they and they skated by they made it seem like well, you know, we gave him everything we could. Robert Sala is just this raving lunatic who doesn't take accountability, and Nathaniel Hackett's a clueless dullard. That's that's how it reads. However true some of it is, that's how it reads. So the fact that there's no balance going, what happened in the front office? Why was there no depth? What was the quarterback plan? What was the draft plan? The fact there's none of that makes me a little curious about where this reporting came from. I agree. It's either that a lot of the sources, because clearly the sources were mixed. It was some players, some coaches, some front office members, but it's either that a lot of the, these sources were front office members or there just was not enough digging done with the front office or there wasn't enough to report on, whatever it is. This report did not make me think any differently about how the Jets front office performed in 2023 because I've said it before. I thought it was easily Joe Douglas's worst offseason with the Jets, which is saying a lot because I think outside of, you know, really one offseason, he's had all below average offseasons for the most part. Uh, and 2023 was an absolute disaster in pretty much every possible way. This report did not make me think any better about the front office. If anything, it just made me think worse about the coaching staff. So (laughs) that's where I'm at. I was already not particularly confident in the front office going into 2024. Now I'm less confident that the coaching staff is, is, I mean, not that I thought that the coaching staff was all the right people, but I did think decently highly of Robert Sala. And I don't, it's not that I think poorly of Robert Sala. Now this one report has not changed my entire impression of him, but it has painted a picture that He's a little more whiny and a little more finger pointy than he should be. And he's a little less of a leader of men than I thought he was. Uh, Now, again, losing takes its toll on everyone. I fully understand that. If the Jets are winning next year, this shit is not going to be a problem. They'll be all right. I just find it very hard to believe that the Jets, who are basically relying on Aaron Rodgers, a 40-year-old Aaron Rodgers coming off a torn Achilles, where it's been a couple of years since we've seen that, a MVP-level performance from him, where we don't know if he still has it in him, it's hard for me to believe that that – is going to fix everything. But that's what the Jets are relying on. And it just, it leads me to not have any confidence in what this team is going to do in 2024. Maybe that changes if they have a kick-ass offseason. Hell, if they sign Mike Evans, they sign a good offensive lineman in free agency, like whoever, like a Robert Hunt or whoever, right? And then they draft somebody in the draft, like a Joe Ald, Olaf Ishanu. Yeah, I mean, that, that'll be great. Like, I, I think I'll be more optimistic about the team, but it's just really hard to have faith in the current regime, given everything we've seen. I mean, my my faith was shaken during the whole our only quarterback move is Trevor Simeon to the practice squad. That, to me, the scales fell from my eyes immediately then, and it's tough yeah. to really rehabilitate that. But uh, at least one member of that front office, because there has been some blood spilled on both the coaching staff and the front office because, as we'll get into later, the wide receivers coach, Zach Aznani, he is no longer with the Jets, or he might be reassigned, but he's not going to be the wide receivers coach. And uh, running back coach Taylor Embry, he is no longer with the Jets. They hired Tony Dews, who I know they're hiring all the Titans guys, which I don't like, but at least Tony Dews was the coach when Derrick Henry at 2,000 yards. So there's at least more of a history of being successful there. 
Uh, there has been some blood spilled in the front office because Rex Hogan, who is the assistant general manager, is no longer with the Jets. He was here for the last five years. I believe Douglas brought him on after he got hired. I think like before the 2019 mm -hmm. uh, season. And I, I can't really be too melancholy about this because he was Douglas's number, apparently the number three because Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> but he's one of the top guys in the decision-making process. It seems like he was more of a draft guy because he was always big down at the Senior Bowl. He was always collecting information down there. And, of course, as the report said, he was not there this year, so this may have been in the, in the, uh, in the works for a little bit. But the Jets have not – the Jets had one amazing all-time draft where you could draft – you draft four Pro Bowl talents, two of whom who have made it and two of whom probably would make it with any non-Zach Wilson quarterback, back to back to back to back. Unbelievable. Outside of that, bottom three drafting team in the league. I mean, who have they drafted really? They've drafted, of, maybe maybe they've had a couple like late round developmental wins, but in terms of cornerstones, where you know these guys are going to be Jets for the long haul, who have they drafted? I mean, like a Michael Carter would be Michael Carter the second. That is not the first. Uh, Michael Carter, yeah, but that's over four years. Like yeah, one, no, really, not, one really good late hit. If you ignore the 2022 draft, the Jets have been a very, very poorly drafting team for, for a few years now, since since Joe Douglas got to it, 100%. Exactly. And Hogan, like, again, I don't know what the collaborative process is there. I don't know if Hogan's being ignored, and maybe that's why he left, because he wasn't being heard by Joe Douglas, or if it's really a 50-50 thing. I don't know how much input Robert Sala has. I'd imagine he has some, because the Will McDonald pick felt totally like Robert Sala saw with the senior ball and said, I need this freaking guy on my team. But I, I'm I'm not sure about that. But again, I can't be too morose about a guy from a failing front office who had a great deal of responsibility getting shown the door because this front office was just not up to snuff this year. I know that Hogan had a large role in the draft. He ran the draft meetings. Uh, I I know he oversaw pro and college scouting, but I believe he had more of a hand with the draft. Uh, and like you said, Mike. Outside of that 2022 draft, which it, it's silly. We can't just ignore the 2022 draft because it is genuinely one of the best NFL draft classes maybe ever. At least it's shaping up to be that. Like it is that good. Like it is legitimately that good. But outside of that draft, it's been tough sledding. It has been really, really tough sledding. I, I do want to make it clear, though, because a lot of people have said this in chat and the speculation is going to be out there, of course, because we just talked about, hey, some of those leaks might be coming from the front office. Rex Hogan was just fired. Everyone's very Jets had to have known this story was coming out for a very long time. You would think, uh, look, Rich Cimini, Connor Hughes, and Zach Rosenbad, I believe, all on, or at least no, Connor Hughes and Rich Cimini have both been very vocal on Twitter saying that Hogan had nothing to do with this, uh, that the decision was made weeks ago to fire Hogan. In fact, Cimini just tweeted that out now that the decision to not fire Hogan, but to part ways with him was made weeks ago. Uh, and so there's no truth to any of the social media speculation. Take it for what it's worth. I think I believe it. If you don't want to believe it, it's whatever. Uh, I, I think in this case, I'm probably going to believe that. I don't think the Jets knew this report was coming out for weeks. Uh, I know that, that Zach made it clear that they reached out to the Jets for comment. They reached out to Aaron Rodgers for comment. They declined. So the Jets had some advance warning that this was coming out, but I don't think that they would have reached out for comment before putting this all together. It usually, when a report like this is happening, they put it all together, they get the entire thing, and they're like, all right, here's what we're going to put out. Do you have anything to say about it? That's normally how this goes. So I don't think a few weeks ago they were ready to drop this story. 
Uh, now I know the timing of it is weird. It is Robert Sala's birthday, so happy for, happy birthday. Oh, yeah. pork. Yeah, I don't know if you knew that. It, to, our, honestly, to our fearless leader, Robert Sala. I'm, I'm not too into conspiracies in that. Like People like, oh, you know, the Super Bowl's rigged because of Taylor Swift. You know how hard it is to rig like a college basketball game? They're going to rig the Super Bowl. Like, come on. Sure. I don't – because it. that's just my opinion, but – like when you hear a story coming out saying Robert Sala is the whiniest baby as you know whatever, and you do it on his birthday of all days of the offseason, this could have come out a week ago. Doesn't that make it almost seem like it is kind of targeted? Like somebody's got a know. bone to pick, and he's like, "Oh, just you wait, Robert Sala. Maybe. Oh, wait, Bobby, I'm gonna get you." I'll, I'll say this though, I I talked to Zach earlier today. Zach Rosenblatt, uh, really good dude. For those who don't know him, genuinely, oh yeah, good. nice dude. Uh, he has no axe grind, Robert Sala. Neither does Dan Rossini. They have nothing against Robert Sala. Zach literally was like, hey, I don't like writing shit like this. Like, I don't want to write hit, like, not, not a hit base. He wouldn't have said that. But, like, I don't want to write negative shit about the Jets. He wants to write, and it's the same shit that fans like to read, like profiles on players. Like, hey, look at Jermaine Johnson. What a story. Look at Bryce Huff. What a story. That's the shit people, like, they're not, they don't want to write shit like this. So I hate when people are like, oh, they have an ax to grind against the Jets. They're just trying to spread negativity. This is their jobs, man. Like, they don't want to do this. That's not, this is not what they want to do. Uh, it's just unfortunate that this is part of the job description and they have to get the truth out there in some way. That's what reporting is. And I just, I want to make this very clear because I, I haven't seen anyone in chat say it, thankfully, but I've seen it all over on Twitter today. Do not complain about the fact that the sources are anonymous. That's how Jets fans hate Robert Sala. And then oh. something comes out criticizing Robert Sala, and they're like, oh, they're trying to tear down the Jets and they hate my team. Like, and here's the thing, Mike. Imagine Zach wrote a piece where it was like, oh, Aaron Rodgers is amazing. Here are all the great things his teammates are saying about him. Here's all these amazing things. But all the sources were anonymous. Do you think a single person would be like, oh, no, that's fake. Those are not real sources. You made that up. You think a single person would say that? No, because it aligns with what they believe. It aligns with the narrative they're trying to push. They're like, oh, it's saying good things about my team. That's all true. But if it says bad things about my team, definitely fake. People are making up sources. It bothers me. It really upsets me because I feel like there's a vendetta. There's a war against good journalism and it pisses me off. Anyway, that was a rant. It's, it's kind of going with what I was saying earlier, where like the Jet, Jets fans will call Alan Lazard the, the worst names. For playing yeah. bad, and then something comes out where they're like ripping him or Hackett or, or Hackett. Sorry, like they come out ripping Hackett, and they're yeah. like, "Well, this is uh, clearly made up by people with right. an axe to grind." It's like, shouldn't you be on board with that? Because it's, it's like, anti-Hackett. Does this mean you have an axe to grind? Because you also hate Hackett? Because you're shitting on Hackett? No, yeah. like, <laughs> like it's dumb. It is really dumb, and it's it's fan rot, brain rot, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I, I I when I said that on Twitter too, and on a little bit of a rant, it's just it it makes me mad because like, look, if any of this shit's coming out, it's like, oh yeah, look, everyone has amazing things to say about Garrett Wilson and Sauce Gardner. No one, not a single person, would say that the the sources need to be named. That's not how sourcing works. That's not how reporting has ever worked. No, no stories would ever get broken if you had Correct. to put your name to it. Correct. Like that's you're absolutely correct. That's not how reporting works, and it's not just sports. That's all reporting. Go go like to whatever news site of repute, not not reputable. Go whatever reputable news site you find. Go look at the top articles where they're quoting people. How many of them are anonymous officials? Or blah blah blah. That's and, how reporting works for crying out loud. I'd like to think we're preaching it acquired because I'd like to think that people who are watching the show aren't the people that are saying that shit. Because I remember one time we had one back, it was another athletic report, it was in like October or something like that. We went back and forth with the guy for 10 minutes about that, but like oh, journalism ethics and journalism one. 
dude, because I'm so passionate about that shit. It makes me so mad. But like, I think that was the Zach Wilson report. I think it was the original report that he was reluctant to play. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. A ton, a ton of backlash. And guess what? It was accurate. Clearly it was accurate. It had a direct impact on people within the organization. Robert Sala flipped out about it and was like, how's this shit getting out? Give me all your cell phones. It, it like, may have cost Tim Boyle a job. Right. Like, <laughs> I know. Like, who knows, man? I still it, legitimately think it was him. I'm not even kidding. Who knows? I don't know. It could have been. It could have been. It, it, that's, uh, that's what makes me mad, and I wanted to get that out there. And I know the the great listeners of the Jet Press podcast aren't the ones who think that. And I'm glad that we're that it's like that. But it just it makes me mad. Like, let's turn our attention to the coaching staff because we have a new face in Sean Jefferson as the wide receivers coach, which means that uh, his son Van Jefferson, formerly of the Rams and Falcons, maybe he's a free agent target. I don't know because Sean. Those that don't know, too, he was actually a really good receiver back in the day. He has over 7,000 career receiving yards. He's on the Patriots all-90s team. He's a pretty good player back in the day. Jefferson is back with the Jets as wide receivers coach. And I thought this would be in the Tony Dews camp where I'm like, okay, you know what? Not great the last couple of years, but a strong evidence of him working with guys like Derrick Henry. And I'm sure it probably helped Ty J. Spears come what he is, who's I think going to be the successor to Henry eventually. I'm like, all right. He could certainly do worse. Then I'm looking at Sean Jefferson's resume. Think about these teams. That like I, I know that like sometimes you got handed bad players, but think about these teams that Jefferson has worked with in his 14 consecutive years as a wide receivers coach. 15, excuse me. 2008 to 2012, the Detroit Lions. You remember 0-16, the Detroit Lions. Now, Calvin Johnson, granted. <laughs> all right, Calvin Johnson. How much of Calvin Johnson being good with Sean Jefferson? Then... The 2013 to 15 Tennessee Titans. Remember those high-powered offenses in, in the Mike Malarkey era before they got Mariota, Zach Mettenberger, and all those quarterbacks. That was that was Sean Jefferson. Then Dolphins under Adam Gase. The Jets as assistant head coach under Adam Gase from 2019 to 2020, which as you may remember was the golden age of wide receivers for the Jets, with names like Deontay Burnett and all that. That was, that was Sean Jefferson. Then the Arizona Cardinals for two years had DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins was already established when he got there. And one of the big complaints about the Cliff Kingsbury offense was how limiting it was for his receivers and how that contributed to Kyler Murray kind of taking a step back as last year. And then last year, the Carolina Panthers, the worst receiving core in the league, who were the number one pick again. That's not a resume that to me speak that doesn't really lend itself to NFL success, in my opinion. Now, he might be a great guy. There has to be, I believe when it's one thing to have a nepotism hire for a couple of things like Hackett this year. Like we see that all the time, but you can't nepotism your way to 16 straight years of wide receiver coach spots. There has to be something there, but I don't know. I would have liked to see, obviously I want to see more wholesale changes with the offense in terms of what they do with Hackett and stuff like that. But I don't think this is really going to be too much of a needle mover. I mean, I don't think it moves the needle much. Like, ultimately, it's a wide receivers coach. Genuinely speaking, like, it's probably not going to move the needle much at all. Like, ultimately, Nathaniel Hackett is still the offensive coordinator. This is still the same coaching staff. But I think I like the move more than you do. I I feel like you're painting a very negative picture of Sean Jefferson because some of those well, – I just teams, listed what he's done in the NFL. Is that a negative some picture? Of those, some of those teams – like, I like look at with the Dolphins, right? Got some really good football out of Jarvis Landry. Got some pretty good football out of guys like Devontae Parker and Kenny Stills. When Parker was healthy – he was pretty solid with the Dolphins. Kenny Stills was pretty – like, he had his best football with the Dolphins. Jarvis Landry played the best football his career with the Dolphins as well. With the Jets, yeah, it wasn't exactly a receiver hotbed, but 
we developed Robbie Anderson. I, look at what Robbie Anderson's done after leaving the oh, Jets. No, not the, that. Not Robbie other Anderson. Than, look, other than that one year in Carolina, what has Robbie Anderson done after leaving the Jets? Not much. He played I, – I, like he, he developed – helped develop Robbie Anderson from an undrafted free agent into a genuinely solid number two receiver when he was with the Jets. He was their number one for a point. But I would say he was a fine wide receiver too with the Jets. Uh, that's that's pretty good. Like I don't think that's bad. With Carolina last year, there was nothing. Like they 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 had nothing. It was bad talent all around. That said, I thought he still got pretty solid production out of a guy in Adam Thielen, who I thought was done before the year. I was about a top fifty pick in Jonathan Mingo, who did nothing, and DJ Chark regressed. Yeah, but how well? Okay, first of all, DJ Chark is whatever. He's been signing one year flyer deals with teams for the last three years. That's not exactly somebody I, I think is going to produce at a high level. Mingo. I don't know, man. How, how much of that was just Jonathan Mingo being bad? I wasn't super high on him as a prospect coming out. I, I don't know. I was uh, also, stunned he went that high, admittedly. Yeah. Also, in Arizona, when they traded for Marquise Brown, he was there, and Marquise Brown ended up playing very well in his first year with, with the Cardinals and looked like pretty looked pretty good. Uh, so I don't think I don't think he has like a terrible track record to speak of, even if he hasn't been for you know been coaching for the best of organizations. I also think it's notable that he over the last four years has been an assistant head coach for two different teams. Yeah, sure. One of them was the Adam Gase Jets, but I think that's a better track record than what they already had in Zach Azani, who, what can you say positively about Zach Azani, right? I, I like He has less experience than Sean Jefferson. He hasn't held as, as high of positions in the coaching hierarchy as Sean Jefferson. I don't think it's an amazing hire by any means, but I like the move, and I think people are just going to get upset because it is the Gase stink, the Gase connection, but I think he has a solid track record. I, I don't think it's a bad move by any means. I mean, the Jets do hire all the assistants I don't like, so they might just bring Gase back as like a quarterback coach. Oh, oh nah, they can't. They, br- they hired Hackett and they hired Todd Downing. You no, know, it's a great question. I would really love to run this Twitter poll. What would Jets fans be less in favor of? Bringing back Adam Gase or bringing back Jamal Adams? I really want to see. Oh, Gase, clearly. Gase, clearly. I think Gase is my answer. I'd be, I'd be more in favor of bringing back Jamal. But I, there's a lot of fans who hold a high level of vitriol. Towards Jamal. I mean, yeah, Jamal's obviously just like a rude, mean person with the whole Connor Hughes wife tweet thing. Yeah, then that's, that's that's on top thing. of it. But like, I think that would yeah. would be the selling point for some people. Would be like, well, Gase isn't a bad guy by any means. Brian, <laughs> this is brutal. Brian in chat. So us Jets fans are slowly coming to appreciate Gase's offense over Hackett's. It's that bad, dude. It's that bad. Yeah, Adam Gase was good at scheming up plays early on. He just couldn't adjust. Hackett can't yeah. do either. Yeah. And, Another comment from Brian that I actually think is pretty interesting is Sean Jefferson, a Lazard-centric hire, has made use of veteran receivers who have lost a step elsewhere. Before Thielen. Like Thielen coming from Minnesota and going to Carolina, even though I think Adam Thielen was a little bit overrated last year and they were kind of force-feeding him a lot. But yeah, a lot of it was volume, but still. Even with that, though, I think – I don't know if it's a Lazard-centric hire. I think that's part of it because they have so much invested in him, but they're going to add another receiver – so I think at the absolute best case, Lazard's going to be your wide receiver three this year. I think this is mostly going to be a Garrett Wilson hire because they know they have a truly exceptional talent in Garrett Wilson. He's only got two more years left to being cheap, and you need to get the most out of him this year. And he's going to be playing with Aaron Rodgers. This is a Garrett Wilson, and maybe if they sign like a Calvin Ridley, it'll be for that. I don't know. Like It'll help Lazard, certainly. And Lazard at least has the benefit of can't get, can't get any worse than this. It can't get any worse than last year. At least I think it can't get any worse than last year. So maybe the combination of that will end up boosting Lazard's performance. But I don't think they're hiring Sean Jefferson based on Lazard solely. The other part of it is 
like beggars can't be choosers here, Mike. Like I, I don't know who wants to come to this Jets coaching staff. Realistically speaking, Deuce Staley didn't want to come to the Jets coaching staff. I doubt Alex Van Pelt does. I doubt I, hell Luke Getzey probably doesn't even want to come to this Jets coaching staff because there's a very high probability, as we talked about throughout a lot of this show, that everyone's gonna be fired at the end of the year anyway. There's no job security beyond this year. You're working in a, I would say, an offensive coaching staff that is not held in high regard around the league. But like that's probably an understatement. Uh, I don't think Nathaniel Hackett's name, while he may be a nice guy and people might like working with him for that reason, I don't think anyone is going, oh, you know who I'd really want to work under? Nathaniel Hackett. I really want to work under Todd Downing. I don't think that's the prevailing thought around the league. So unless the Jets are paying these guys a ton of money, I don't think a lot of candidates are, are willingly going to come to the Jets and stake the next year of their career on this organization succeeding, on this offensive coaching staff surviving into the year because there's a very good chance that they don't. So I think the fact that they were able to get Sean Jefferson is is not it's good because he's, I think, an upgrade over what they had. Tony Dews, I think, is probably an upgrade over what they had in Taylor Embry, at least if we're going on, because it's hard for us to say who's a better coach, right? All we can go on is experience and track record. I think both of those guys have more experience and they have better track records than what they had. So I'm fine with the hires. Again, it's not going to matter much. It's probably not going to move the needle. The Jets are probably still going to fail in 2024. Like I, I'm in a negative mindset right now. I, I really am just because of I, I've lost a lot of faith in the organization. I've lost a lot of faith in the regime. But I, I, like, I like these moves. I think they're fine. I think Sean Jefferson's a good hire. It's not going to move the needle much, but I think it was a step in the right direction if there was one. You bring up Hackett. Like, it's funny looking at this report and imagining – like Robert Sala reading this report and probably getting, I think a little justifiably pissed off because they paint him as like kind of this, you know, angry whiner who doesn't take any care. Like I can see him being pissed off. Imagine Hackett reading this. What do you got to be thinking if you're him? Because this just makes him seem like he's just like he he can't do anything right. No, like he's, he's going to read it. He doesn't strike me as someone that cares. Like I I don't think Nathaniel Hackett cares about what I was thinking. Like just I wouldn't you, like wouldn't wouldn't that challenge your professional integrity to be like hey no I actually can't go to offensive football like you wouldn't know what? that piss you off I'll say this and this this is gonna sound bad Robert Sala should take some pointers from Nathaniel Hackett and by that when I say that I mean that Robert Sala should care less about what others think he should care less about what others are saying care less about media coverage and care more about stopping the finger pointing all right nathaniel hackett has never struck me as someone who, who points fingers he's just bad at his job all right but he's not going to give a shit if others are saying he's bad at his job he's just going to keep doing things the way he does it now that's not going to it's not going to yield positive results but maybe robert Sala should start doing the same thing and stop caring about what the media coverage is stop caring about the external factors point fingers at yourself you want to talk some senior bowl yeah let's talk a little senior bowl because it is uh it is senior bowl week Senior Bowl practices kicked off yesterday, I believe. The game is this weekend. Uh, Jeff Ulbrich, while all this nonsense is going down, is down in Mobile coaching at the Senior Bowl, coaching the, uh, I believe he's the head coach of the national team. There's a few guys, a part of that national team, though I think that he's going to keep his eye on. The Jets have shown an affinity towards Senior Bowl players in the past. I believe Will McDonald was at the Senior Bowl, I think, last year. Jermaine that Johnson. video of him spinning around Darnell Wright, who was like a top 10 pick lock, I think that's what sold it who a lot of people wanted the Jets to draft Darnell Wright. Uh, and he ended up going before they were, I think he went ninth, right? To the he Bears. went like ninth or 10th to the Bears. Yeah, so he ended up going before the Jets could even pick. Um, but yeah, I, I would not be surprised at all if the Jets end up with a couple of senior role players. Mike, who is who is on your radar at the senior before, role? Before that, C.B. Miller, Salah got to stop playing golf with beat writers. Joe Benigno is not a beat writer. Joe Benigno yeah, is a media institution. <laughs> but I do agree. And I, I a lot of pain, that. bro. 
And and also, I mean, you're he's not a beat writer, but yeah, I mean, let him let him play golf, whatever. But don't be texting Joe Benigno saying, "Yeah, man, Zach Wilson sucks." You can't do that as the head coach. You're not wrong. You can think that, but don't be texting Joe Benigno that. Don't be telling people in the organization, "Oh, you know what? All this is because Zach Wilson sucks. All it's because Aaron Rodgers got hurt." That you can't do that anyway. Right. Benigno rules, though. I'll make an exception. Eh. <laughs> he rules if you don't take anything he says seriously and you just treat him as like the drunk uncle who just shows up. Oh, no, he had actual like – I mean, look, some of WFN has, has objectionable programming right now. But Nick oh, Noah is – Don't get me started. Love that. Don't get me started on the shit that happened with Boomer Esiason this week. I don't know if you saw that. Did you see the, the Boomer oh, Esiason? Again, he went after you? No. Nah, oh, okay. Hold on. Really quick. Really quick. I want to I talk about this. So Boomer Esiason uh, – I'm not going to say too many too many bad things here, but I don't particularly like Boomer Sison. He's probably the only person that I've ever met or talked to in this industry who's outright treated me like shit. Uh, just not a pleasant person to me. Anyway, I don't. You remember the whole grain of salt thing, Mike? Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah. So for those who don't know, I went on on uh, the uh, on Geo and Boomer. They asked me to come on. By the way. I didn't just call up, get an email from them asking me to come on, go on the show uh, because I wrote something about Boomer Esiason saying that, you know, it was a report he had. And in the report, I was like, oh, you know, take it with a grain of salt, whatever. Right. Just because Boomer Esiason has been wrong many times on, on his on his reporting. Right. That's fine. I don't think that that's a controversial take. They didn't take too kindly of that. They brought me on uh, and were just not great about it uh, anyway. Uh, Boomer Esiason reported last week that it was a lock, an absolute lock, that Ben Johnson would be the head coach of the Washington Commanders. Apparently, this has become a recurring spot. I didn't notice, Mike. You know that they continuously reference the grain of salt comment now on their show whenever Boomer reports something? They do I mean, that. I don't check in. Every, I really only check I, in I didn't the, know after the Jets game on all Monday to listen to all the shows. But This was brought to my attention. I didn't know this. Uh, but during that, during that report, he's like, yeah, uh, the geo asked him, is it a great, a small spot? And Boomer's like, nope, it is a lock. Obviously Ben Johnson is not the head coach of the Washington commanders. So I find it very funny that Boomer continues to take digs at me, continue to take shots at me with the great assault comment. And in doing so while making, while making fun at the fact like, oh, you know, take my reporting with a grain of salt. He's wrong about his reporting again. So anyway, just want to throw that out there. How do you um, really feel Justin? I thought, that, I, thought, <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny that Boomer Esiason was wrong with his report again. Look, and again, I'm not saying, like, Boomer's not making shit up. He has sources. He just jumps the gun with this shit. So, anyway, anyone who knows me knows I don't talk shit about anybody, like, in this industry, company. I, I'm, I'm def I'll defend everyone. Like, nah, man. Anyway, we'll move on. All to right, moving back to the fact oh, that we'll move on to Senior Bowl stuff. I will I will say one Jets movement is dying uh, at the Senior Bowl, and that is the – Take a quarterback at 10. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think it's dead. Movement. I think that's already dead in the water. Well, I, I think this officially killed it because obviously the top two pit, we don't know if it's going to be Drake May and Caleb Williams or Caleb Williams then Drake May. I actually think May might be quarterback one. And uh, I actually would like, because Caleb Williams is a DC guy, I like to see him go to Washington, go back home. But those two are one, two in some order. And it seems like Jaden Daniels is going to be number three. And New England has basically hinted they're adding a quarterback at some point, so it seems very likely they're going to get Jaden Daniels. Mm -hmm. After that, there's really no like defined quarterback four. It's a big miasma. There's J.J. McCarthy, which would be hilarious because he's not QB4. There's Michael Penix from Washington, who's at the Senior Bowl. And there's Bo Nix from Oregon, who's at the Senior Bowl. And the from what I've seen at practices and seen on Twitter – all of the quarterbacks have kind of struggled. 
in Mobile, specifically Knicks. He's been the worst of them. Uh, now, Penix, obviously, I think is the better player, but he has the injury history. He's torn both ACLs. Knicks had a real opportunity here to overtake him, especially after Penix was like kind of iffy in the championship game. He didn't take it. So if you want Bo Nix on the Jets because they don't have a second-round pick at 10, I feel like your movement just died here, buddy. Now, again, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to stink. I, I was at the Senior Bowl in 2020, which, by the way, I talked to a Chargers exec then. He said they were going to take Herbert no matter what, and that was in yeah, yeah. January. You should you should have reported that. Mike Luciano's scoop. Yeah, but, but but anyway, I think I did mention it back in a way existent article before I was even in fan-sided. But uh, I also said the Patriots were going to take Harrison Bryant, and then that didn't happen. I boomer size and jumped the gun on that. Well, but, but, <laughs> but anyway, because uh, <laughs> they were looking at him all that. But anyway, that movement died. I'm not saying that's necessarily going to mean he's going to be a bust forever because I was at that game, and Jalen Hurts was terrible at senior bowl practices. He was awful. And didn't As we know now, Jalen Hurts is pretty good. So James not Morgan. the be all end all, but not a good look for Bo Nix. And didn't James Morgan ball out? That was the Shrine Bowl he balled oh, out. Oh, Shrine Bowl. So he didn't even get the senior bowl. That's right. He bought, who else? Uh, Alex Highsmith, I remember, really balled out. And you know who else was a top five performer and I had a fifth round grade on? Bryce Huff. At the hey, bowl. look at that. Highsmith and then Huff. Those have been two hits for sure. Uh, they were and then I also, if you remember Benjamin Victor, I thought he would be good. And yeah. Nothing yeah. ever happened with him. So, but still. I know he was with the Giants and Ravens. I mean, I don't think he did much. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I, I like what you said before where it's like, you know, it's not going to happen, buddy. Get get ready to learn mid-round pick, buddy, to use that, the uh, Adam Silver <laughs> meme. Because if the Jets are going to draft the quarterback at all this year, which I don't think that they will, but they could, uh, it'll be in the middle rounds. It'll be day two, most likely day three, like a fourth, fifth round pick. Uh, that's probably where we're, you know, where I would imagine. Maybe they just go like seventh round. Honestly, Mike, I could see a scenario where, you know, because they're going to have two or three compensatory picks in the seventh round once those officially get, you know, handed out. Uh, I wouldn't be stunned if they just take one of those guys in the seventh round and stash them on the practice squad. I could totally see a situation like that happening because they're most likely going to to sign a veteran quarterback. They've pretty much made that very clear that whoever they rely on as their backup is going to be a competent, experienced veteran backup. Uh, and so that means whatever whoever you draft is not going to be the backup. That means you're not using the 10th overall pick on that player. That means you're not going to use hopefully your third round pick on that player. You're going to use those draft picks to, uh, to address positions and or address positions of need and draft players who can affect and in, in impact and provide value to your team in 2024. So I don't think they're going to use any kind of significant draft capital on the quarterback. I, I completely agree. I don't think that I honestly, I don't think that narrative was even still alive, but yeah, if it was definitely, if it was alive at all, definitely dead now. Real quick before I get on to the, um, our last senior bowl point that I want to mention, Cisco, where do you see Zach going? Uh, Minnesota, if I'd ask right now. Ooh, okay. We had a whole, I think we had a whole podcast we were talking about this not that we long did, ago. Yeah, right? that, uh, Chiefs, that's going to be my prediction. Although I, I think I saw Boomer said Chiefs as well. But, yeah, yeah so, but, then, so then that's not going to be Chiefs. But yeah. I, I still, Chiefs make the most sense to me. Andy Reid's got the BYU connection. Uh, who knows? I, I could legitimately see San Francisco too. Like I could 100% see that. Darnold's a free agent at the end of the year. Kyle Shanahan can maybe try and fix him. Obviously, Zach Wilson has experience in a Shanahan adjacent offense. I, I'll just say probably not the Rams because I don't think he's going to go to reunite with Mike LaFleur. <laughs> I would have liked it with McVay too, but, but moving on. Uh, one, one player that actually got linked to the Jets pretty heavily, which I think is interesting right now, is uh, Taliesi Fuaga, who is the right tackle for Oregon State. Uh, he seems like a first-round lock at this point. Uh yeah. It's still – I know that Olu Fashanu has slipped a little bit. It still seems like the top two tackles locked in are Olu Fashanu from Penn State and Joe Alt 
from Notre Dame. They'll still seem like one, two in whatever order you decided. Number three, which the Jets may have to really prepare for, because I, I think it's possible that one of them lasts until 10. I don't know if it's likely. So you need to start looking whoever number three is. And we've heard J.C. Latham from Alabama. We've seen, I think, Tyler Guyton is another guy who has yeah. really stepped up at the Senior Bowl from Oklahoma. Troy Fatano from Washington. Amarius Mims, if he's healthy. A lot of guys like that. But Fuaga is standing out. I'm just a little afraid of him because what did Joe Douglas fall in love with, with Mekhi Becton? It was the power. It was the strength and the run blocking. And Fuaga's game is all power right now. There's not – like the technique – and even really the pass blocking, like just getting into his anchor, getting out into his sets quick, how he handles speed and how he handles edge bending. Like th- that's where he's his weakest right now. And who's going to teach him that technique? Keith Carter, who is everybody gets worse under him and people hate him and they don't like him. The Jets, I think, need to prioritize safety right now at the tag. I know you always draft for like, you know, potential and long term and stuff like that, but I just can't imagine if. After Makai Becton leaves, they then draft a guy who has a similar style of play in Fuaga. He goes through the same frustrations, and then we're no closer to getting an actual offensive line for Aaron Rodgers. I think outside – and look, I, I I don't think I've done as much research on the top tackles as you have to this point. Uh, outside of Joe Alt, is there a safe bet at tackle in this draft? Like I think even someone like Olafishanu has a lot of work to do. I mean, I think you have the upside there, obviously, with him. And he's the problem with Fashanu is he was like unprecedentedly good as last yeah. year. And then this year he was just very good. So yeah. it looked worse than it did last year. I think there's some technical issues to clean up with him as well. Alt is the most NFL ready, if you want to use that term. I think all of them are starting day one in the NFL regardless. But I, I think with any of them, you're going to be able to find those flaws. Uh, and also, I think Fuaga, from all accounts, is rising up very, very, very quickly. I don't think uh, there's the clear one-two with Alton Fashano at this point. From what it seems like right now, Alt is one, and then two is open between Fashano and Fuaga. Because you, you rattled off a lot of names, guys like Guyton, uh, uh, Troy Fuamata. How, how do you pronounce the name the Washington uh, tackle? Fatano, I believe. F-A-U-T-A-N-U. Fatano, sure. I believe. If the Washington tackle, yeah. Uh, Amarius Mims, J.C. Latham, there's a lot of guys there in that, like, I would say 15 to, like, 32 range that are all vying to be first-round picks. Fuaga has seemed to separate himself from that pack. Uh, and if he can have a really, really strong throwing in the senior bowl, I think he was pretty impressive by all accounts, by people who were down there on Tuesday. Uh, if he can have that strong showing, I could see him 100% climbing up to that top 10 range and maybe even passing Olofashanu. I know on Daniel Jeremiah's top 50 prospects that he just released, he has Fuaga at 11 and Fashanu at 12. So he already has Fuaga uh, over Fashanu. Uh, I imagine there's going to be teams that feel a certain way at, at some point as well. Uh, it also depends on what you're looking for because Fuaga is a right tackle. He also, I think, can probably kick inside the guard if you want to do that. I don't think you're using a top 10 pick on someone who's going to kick. He's big. He's like 6'6". Six, six. That's a big guard. He is, but I bet he has that versatility. I don't think he played much left tackle at Oregon State, but I'm sure he could do it. Uh, Fashanu is more of your typical left tackle. He was a left tackle at Penn State. He has that you know, already under his in his bag, I guess. Um, but it's going to be really interesting to see how it shakes out. I, I think that Alt is the clear-cut OT1 tackle one, the best tackle in his class. I'd be shocked at this stage. Again, it's January 31st. A lot can change. Three weeks ago, no one was talking about Talaisi Fuaga being a top 10 pick. Now it's possible. A lot can change. But right now, I'd say Alt, probably not going to fall to the Jets at 10. 
you're realistically looking at Fashanu, Fuaga, whoever's there. And even look at someone like last year. We talked about Darnell Wright. In January, no one was saying Darnell Wright was going to be a top 10 pick. That was that was not the – okay, hi, Mike. You were saying that. Or that not our, our top 10 – our five, top 15? Top 10, yeah. He went ninth. That's crazy. If you top said 15, that, is that close enough? Sure. I mean, he was top 15. <laughs> so, yeah. But, like, if you, if you were like – if you said Darnell Wright was going ninth overall in a mock draft in January of last year – you get laughed at because that makes it, up for my Desmond Ritter takes. <laughs> yeah, that was. I, I think you got to sell all that Desmond Ritter stock, man. I don't think it's going to pay off. Uh, I still but believe, like, but a lot changes. A lot changes right now. Fuaga is the guy who's rising up those boards. A strong showing in a senior bowl can help. I think Tyler Guyton is another one who can really improve his stock because the big knock against him is really just experience. He only had that one year of starting at, at Oklahoma. I think he transferred. Uh, but if he can show that he's more ready, more NFL ready than, than a lot of scouts maybe think he is, he's someone who I, I think Guyton can work his way in the top 10 conversation over the course of the next couple of months if he has a good strong, good showing at the Senior Bowl and does all the right things in the, the pre-jet process, tests well, measures well. I can see him rising as well. I will say this about Fuaga's tape. He is the most fun of the top tackles to watch. Oh, yeah. he just he's got that, people. that Tevin Jenkins to him. He does, well, Tevin Jenkins has been kind of mixed. No, um, I know, but he had that nasty, you know, that tape. Uh, I loved watching Tevin Jenkins in college. Brian Sternbeck, as if a win, if he turns out to be like former Oregon State tackle Mike Remmers. Mike Remmers played tackle like he had one leg. He was, yeah, that I was don't know. remember when he single handedly lost the Super Bowl for the Panthers? Yes, yes. Because like every single play, Von Miller would just run by him and hit Cam. Yeah, I, I would say probably not. Remmers was – I was just checking this. Remmers was also undrafted. I was like, when was Remmers drafted? He was not drafted. He was undrafted. I uh, can see why. <laughs> yeah. It was obvious to everybody, including Cam Newton. He's also – he's he has only 301, too. He's a lot smaller than Fuaga. But, sure, the Oregon State connection. I go Beavs. Go, be, go Beavers. <laughs> so, yeah. with that, I think, we, I think we're ready to call, uh, yeah. call curtains on this episode of the Jet Press. Another noisy week because it's the Jets and all the weeks are noisy because nothing can ever just go easy with this team. But thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing on YouTube. We just hit 750. Thank you for that. So as you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you get your podcast, we are there. And YouTube at the Jet Press. Make sure you subscribe, like likes on the stream. That really helps. Good review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps. Justin, floor is yours. I appreciate the Jets for dropping all of this news before we recorded, because we've had uh, an unfortunate, I don't know, not to pull a Robert Sala here and blame the external factors, but we've been pretty unlucky with a lot of news getting leaked or getting reported during the show or right after we finished recording. So I'm glad all this stuff came out before and we were able to talk about it. We'll be back next week, probably talking more Senior Bowl draft stuff, unless another bombshell report comes out. Maybe about Aaron Rodgers. Who knows? Uh, but hopefully we'll do some draft stuff. Maybe get into some predictions because I think we were trying to plan to do that this week. Didn't end up happening because of all this stuff. But anyway, for those who have listened, for those who have stuck around, we always appreciate it. And thank you all for joining us on the show today. You can follow Mike on Twitter at by Mike Luciano. Follow me on Twitter at Justin T. Freed. Follow Jeff Press at the Jeff Press. Download the Jeff Press podcast wherever you get your podcast. Check us out on YouTube and TikTok. Subscribe, like, hit that notification bell. You guys know what to do. We stream live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Thank you all for listening to Jet Press Podcast. I've been Justin Freed. That has been Mike Luciano. We'll see you guys next week. See you folks next week.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.